0: Hi, I'm Helen Goldwyn and you're listening to The Sirens of Audio.
1: G'day, audio files. It's us again, the Sirens of Audio. We are back for another instalment. My name is Dwayne. I'm your host, and with me, in the co-hosting chair, is Philip. G'day.
2: G'day, Dwayne. G'day, everyone. Good to be here again. What an exciting day we've got today.
1: We have got an exciting episode in uh, in store for you. So yeah, that is very good. But to start us off, I wanted to just mention mention briefly because. This bit of news happened only a few days after our last recording, so it's probably almost getting to old news now. But as far as sirens of audio goes, this is the first chance we've had to talk about it, and that is Christopher Eccleston is coming back as the Ninth Doctor uh, in a new series of audio starting next year. What do you think about that news, Philip?
2: I think it's pretty exciting news. Um, I guess in a sense we've been hoping for, for a long time. I think lots of people have given up. I certainly hadn't. There have been so many people who were never going to come to Big Finish. Paul McGann was never going to come. Janet Fielding was never going to come. Matthew Waterhouse was never going to come. (laughs) Tom Baker was never going to come. And I think one of the things Big Finish have shown over the years is the fact that eventually they get everyone they want. And so, but that being said, it doesn't lessen the excitement. Chris Eccleston was an astounding doctor. He was a doctor far too short. And we can be pretty sure that Big Finish will know what to do with him. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. So I've got no idea where they're going to place him. So what do you think, Dwayne?
1: I'm totally stoked about this. Um, I was devastated that we only got one series with Christopher Eccleston, even though I was devastated when he was cast originally because I wanted Paul McGann to come back. But uh, once within seconds of of this new Doctor, I fell in love with him and loved his performance all the way out all the way through series one and um yeah i'm i'm curious to know philip what your thoughts are and where they might place some of his adventures because i was i i recalled in my mind that there was one spot in rose the first episode where they could have the the ninth doctor go off and have some adventures but in actual fact someone pointed out on uh, on one forum i was looking at that there were three parts in the first episode rose where the doctor disappeared left her and could have gone off and had adventures so do you you think that's where they're going to go or do you think they might get billy piper back
2: well firstly i we do know billy piper is happy to work with them so it's quite possible billy might be there and i think the two of them together would be fantastic to have a series yeah the series together but in terms of um, it's not impossible to have him before he met rose i do know he does that thing with the ears that makes it looks like he's only just regenerated but we don't know for certain at the start of Rose that's what's happened. So there's no reason why there couldn't be stories before Rose that's happened. But you are right, there's places in Rose that he disappears. Um, also in, uh, is it World War Three, The Slytherin one, the first one. He, when he hops into the TARDIS and disappears to go to the, ho- the hospital, there's another spot. He's in the TARDIS by himself without her. Um, so I don't know. The thing about being finished, you're never quite sure what they're going to do. Usually they, they nail it. So I'm pretty excited to see what happens.
1: There's plenty of opportunity. Anyway, let's, uh, let's get on to the subject of this episode and our special guest, Philip.
2: Yes. So special guest is someone I first met, but oh, actually the first time I would have met her was about 25 years ago when I went over to England for a convention uh, and I met her there. But more recently, she's um, been to Australia a couple of times and um, I've actually been over to England and sent on stage. So tonight's special guest, uh, is the one and only Louise Jameson.
1: So let's have a listen to one of the very first Doctor Who-related adventures that Louise did with Big Finish, and that is uh, the Gallifrey series, which starred her and Lala Ward, and I think the first episode was called Weapon of Choice. Gallifrey, Weapon of Choice. Didn't I ever tell you I was in love once? It's true. She
3: drove me to drink. I'll be forever in her debt. This is the life of the outsider. Why would you cross this line, Sister Leela?
0: When I am inside the city, old man, now that feels like outside to me.
3: You have been inside
0: for many years. You have changed, For the city never does. There was a man. They said he was my tamer, but it was not like that. We were both of us lions, happy-mated in our cage. Then came the day that he did not return. As two lions, we were proud to walk the city. But one lion alone does not make a pride. There is not even
3: the Doctor. Not anymore. For us Gallifreyans, time travel is a privilege. Others might wish to use it for undesirable ends. And so access to the space-time vortex must be regulated.
2: Vortex Ops intercepted an automated capsule bound for here. Black light
0: rods inside. That means another amateur party to try their tentacle and time travel. The mighty
3: Celestial Intervention Agency. Wrong again. Your report tells me that a rogue individual has used your own intelligence, such as it is, first to infiltrate... Technology assessment team and second to steal an illicit temporal element from under the CIA's nose. I seek information on the subversive organization
2: known as free time. Well now, a robot dog. That's new. Pink elephants are usually the thing. Someone's going to suffer for this. <laughs> Welcome, Louise. It's so great to have you. Thank you for joining us on our little podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, I would love having you. So where are you talking to us from? I'm
0: currently in Northern Ireland, and I apologise for the sound quality, because we're in the middle of storm, I think she's called Edna. Um, So there's lots of wind whipping around, and I'm right on the coast, which, you know, beautiful vista, but it's... uh, it's it's wild it's wild island a little village called Killy which has its own castle <laughs> only an island island could a village have a castle uh, and we're on the biggest uh inlet it's it's not it's a sea lock as it okay. were uh and it's the biggest inlet in the United Kingdom so it's stunning I mean it's stunning but I just don't like being cute up on my own it's I've got to self isolate for a week before I start filming on Monday.
2: Is so, over there, see- filming a series. So, what, what are you filming?
0: I'm filming a, a series called The Secret Life of Boys, uh, which uh, appears on CBBC. CBBC which is the children's channel, Uh, and then it's later on iPlayer. But I'm sure it's shown in Australia because uh, it's got Australian funding and a young Australian actress in it. So it it addresses all the problems that teenagers face, you know, young love, first love, cheating at school, worried about being unpopular, bullying, there's all kinds of issues that come up in every kid's life.
2: And what part are you playing in this?
0: Granny Bob, and I rock up on a Harley Davidson, which is (laughs) Uh, so I have a whole set of leather gear, back in leather again.
2: <laughs> I've seen um, you riding a Harley before in leather.
0: Have you? Oh, well, I use it as my uh, profile pic on one of the of on one of the uh, social media sites. So that's probably where you've seen it. I just I just showed it to a girlfriend of mine. She said, "Oh, put it on Twitter." <laughs> no <one writing>
2: it. <laughs> so you they're just doing location filming or all the filming. Is uh, all it's, going to be filmed on location?
0: It's, it's all on location, and it's all in the one location. It's a big old farmhouse that they use every year. I have a feeling, though, this might be its last season, because we, at the, the last, well, it's a spoiler, so I can't really give it away, but the last scene of the last episode is very, There's not it's really bad. cliffhangers. It's very rounded up, and I just think, uh, might be goodbye to this little job, this little summer in Ireland.
2: Yes, yeah, so, so how have you been surviving COVID?
0: Because I haven't got my dog here, I didn't realize what a solace she is. I missed it. I cannot tell you how much I miss her. And because she's, she's, she's quite demanding, it's like I have to walk first thing for about an hour and a half, and then I have to walk again in the afternoon for about an hour, and then she behaves perfectly. So because I have that structure, I've also, I've swapped alcohol for yoga. So I'm not drinking at all, and I'm doing yoga every day. Um, again, giving a real solid structure to my day. And I think that was the answer, just to really make sure that I got up, I did this at this time, this at this time. And then there were a couple of days where I didn't adhere to a schedule, I got very low. Right. Very, I'm such a people person, you know. I, I just miss, and I'm and telling actors not to hug people. It's like, I don't know, it's like telling telling the sun to turn into the moon it's just not possible
2: yeah now you've been well through COVID. you've got any problems
0: i think i might have had it right at the very beginning very mildly but i'm definitely clear now i have my second test on monday got another one on th- on this coming monday so i definitely clean clear now
2: uh, and your boys had it did, you, did your sons both have it is that yeah, right
0: my sons my grandsons we think they've all had it my my youngest son got got it most severely, he lost his sense of smell and taste for about four weeks and was very, very uh, low in energy, very unlike him. Okay. Um, but you know, that's as bad as it hit everyone else. Is you know, he's absolutely fine now.
2: Well, that's good. I know England's been very rough, so all the best. Hope it keeps improving. Yeah, now we are we'd love to talk to you about um, well, lots of things because your career is gigantic and. Um, what you've done is amazing. We're gonna, yeah, you
0: know, fifty years. Fifty years. years.
2: How, could, how 50 can how can someone in their late twenties have a career for fifty years? I don't understand that. Isn't
0: that amazing? Fifty years—that's like half a century. How did that happen?
2: I have no idea how that happened. So, um, how, how did you become an actress? What, what, what made you decide acting was for you?
0: I was four years old, and I played Little Miss Muffet rather brilliantly <laughs>
2: <laughs> great reviews
0: you have that you have that rhyme there little miss muffet sat on the tuffet. yes she does. the way we <laughs> do okay. yes and the spider was judith black i remember very very thin spindly girl and um and i reacted and i screamed and i ran out the room and the audience mums <laughs> in those <days. laughs> any dad 1955 or whenever it was and uh I just loved. Them. I st- stood the other side of the door, hearing them laughing and clapping, and thinking, "Oh, I, I like this. I'll do this." And that was that.
2: So, what was the steps you took in terms of um, from going from an unbelievably talented four year old into getting paid for the role? What uh, what, I what, what the you steps?
0: Angel Gabriel, rather brilliantly, aged <laughs> at 15, the local amateur dramatics, uh, of which my mum was a queen. She was just a fantastic amateur actress. Uh, they offered me Viola in Twelfth Night, then at, at 15. Then at 17, they let me into Rada, young, very young. And then by 19, I was out and trained. And I got my first job May the 1st, 1971.
2: Wow yeah now was that was, was that the royal shakespeare company or was that come a bit later no
0: that was um cider with rosie laurie lee uh and it and it went out on christmas day 1971 the next job i did actually went out first which was uh one line in a marty feldman show do you remember marty feldman yes i do yeah, the comedian. And he was adorable man and so welcoming. And he knew how green and naive and inexperienced I was. He completely took me under his wing and was very kind and generous throughout the day. I only had one line, but we were there all day. I had to say, dead cats turn me on. <laughs> um, and uh, then I did uh, Tom Brown's School Days uh, on television. I played The Maid that flashman not flashman tom brown had an uncle that was really nasty that was instrumental in sending him off to boarding school and he he attacked me and tom brown stood up for me so that was my little scenario there and then i went off to rep did all sorts of stuff in rep and about two years after that joined the royal shakespeare company
2: okay so you've had a early on as a stage and film backwards and forwards quite considerably Mm -hmm. um When did you start branching into audio and voice work?
0: I did loads for the BBC. It just sort of gathered momentum. Lots of BBC radio drama. Um, And about 20, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe early 90s even. Gary Russell asked if I'd do something for Big Finish. When Zagreus. Was that Zagreus?
2: Pardon? Was it? Was it Zagreus? That, that was the first role what you had in t- 2003. You know, you know more than me. I've, I've done my research. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've that cheated. Gallifrey, I think.
0: Was it, wasn't it Gallifrey, the first
2: thing I did for them? You, you There's a main range show called The Zagreus first, which had all the doctors in it, and then you mm. and Lala were paired up, and then straight after that, the Gallifrey series came out.
0: My very first day filming Leela, there was a little knock on my dressing room door and this little boy was standing there with a pencil and paper saying, will you sign this for me? And I was, I, of course, yes, I will. What's your name? He said, Gary. And it was actually Gary Russell. And he was about 12 or 13. And, you know, thank goodness I was nice to him or I'd never had this good <laughs> <laughs> finish. he yeah. was the first Leela autograph that I ever signed. I think he's still got it. I think he said he's still got
2: it. I bet he has. Yeah. So just just let's go to the character of Leela. Um, how did you decide how to make this character work? She's a very uh, yeah. So you you get signed up with Doctor Who, you go through the audition process, given this character Leela on the page. Did you feel that you had much on the page to go with?
0: I did to begin with because they they'd been very clear about that they didn't want to replace Sarah Jane. Of course, how could you? You know, Liz was fantastic. Um, so they wanted something very different. So they were very keen on the, you know, feisty, highly intelligent, very uneducated. So plenty of scope for that sort of Eliza, Doolittle, Higgins relationship to develop, um, which I don't think we did quite enough of, really. I think Talons of Weng Chiang really latched into that. Um, so I, I I thought she's lived in a forest all her life. She's had to, she's had to live off her own wits, as it were. Um, so I thought she's part animal, part child. All the enthusiasm and curiosity of a child and all the instincts of an animal. So I based her on my then dog, who was called Bosie, who had this wonderful... He had um he was part uh basenji you know that e- egyptian dog with the huge ears so he he had this way of moving his head i thought i'll take some of that body language and there was a little girl upstairs called sally i wonder where she is now um and she had all that kind of vivacity and highly intelligent enthusiastic young girl and i thought and also, you know, quite a temper on her. She, had quite, she, could, have, she could have moods, this girl. I just, I'm just going to combine those two and see what, what I can mould into Leela. So I went about it that way. But I was very determined to keep her intelligent, even if, even if she didn't know something, uh, but to keep her curious.
2: It, have you realised how popular Leela was as a character? Because, I mean, in terms of the yeah, most popular companions of Doctor Who, Leela's, you know, probably Sarah Jane Smith probably still wins out. But Leela's always up there in the top few of you know, everyone's favourite companions. Had you yeah, realised at the time?
0: Crazy, no, I knew we'd put on something like two and a half million on the viewing figures. Um, and there were lots of jokes about that being dad's, simply because I wasn't wearing much. And uh, that may well be true. But I did not know that they were very pleased with the figures in every figure in every <laughs> They were very peaceful figures. So, um, yes, I, I assumed that I, I was popular. And also people for the first time were stopping me in the street and recognising me, you know, which hadn't happened before.
1: I happened to have a look at Sunmakers today because I, re- I remember um, you saying that it's your favourite TV yes. episode. Um, and. I th- I thought it was very interesting because I I know Robert Holmes wrote that he was disgruntled with the tax system at the time.
0: He was also rather disgruntled with the BBC. I think there was, I think he thought it was going to be the last thing he ever wrote for the BBC, uh, but it, it turned yeah. out it
1: wasn't. So it was a story about uh, disgruntlement and uh, unhappiness with the uh, with the government and what they were doing. I thought it was very prophetic in a way, because here in Australia in particular, there's a lot of people who are unhappy with the way the government's handling certain parts of COVID, locking people down, and so on social media, people are being encouraged to rise up, and it's probably happening, happening all over the world. But um, I thought it was uh, very prophetic in a way that uh, that from that disgruntlement comes a lot of uh, encouragement to, to rebel.
0: If you look at it, um... Closely, and you strip it away. What you've got is pure Marxism. There, really, the the whole philosophy is is, you know freeing oppressed workers Hmm. and and letting people uh, know their own self worth and having their own self worth. I'm talking about Marxist philosophy, not not the way Marxism has been used and abused, like every good philosophy uh, does. And also, um, Robert. uh, you know, m- much as the doctor and the companion work as a couple, uh, Robert separated us for two or three episodes during that story. So I got to I got to run some of the action, as it were. I felt there was more to get my teeth into and and play with. And it was a fabulous cast. We laughed and laughed. We had a very very good time on it.
1: I could see in your eyes you looked like you were having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: You were invited After you left playing Leela, you were invited back to come back but chose not to. Um, I mean, you popped back for a spe- the Dimensions in Time special, which wasn't really Leela. <laughs> that's, that's one of your favourite shows, isn't it?
0: Right, mini ha-ha, I looked.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, was, was it hard to convince you to come back when Big Finish asked you to come back and play the role on audio?
0: No, not at all. And also because they have and remain to be so accommodating with my dates. Uh, it's a job I do whenever I'm not doing another job, basically. And they are really accommodate down to working on a Sunday sometimes if I'm on tour. Um, equally I'm, you know, perfectly happy to work into the evenings, work weekends for them because they've been so incredibly supportive of my writing career apart from anything else. I feel like I've been paid to learn So I couldn't ask for more for them. And we talk about the Big Finish family and it's a bit trite. It's a bit cliche, but it's true. If anybody really is not very pleasant to work with, they don't get re-employed. It's as simple as that. So the people are talented and lovely. It doesn't always go hand in hand. Usually it does. But with Big Finish, you have it guaranteed.
2: That's great. Now you've had success on stage, you've had success on screen, you've had success on audio. What, what differences in acting do you think you have to bring to, to change? Because you, you seem to move seamlessly between everything. What, 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 what's, what are the differences in acting styles between each medium? I think the first
0: thing to do is not stay too long away from the stage. I I never I'm never longer than two years away from the stage, even if it's a tiny little fringe project in a room above a pub, because what that does is keep you match fit. It keeps your brain sharp. It keeps your muscle memory working Um, because you use a different part of your memory for television as you do for theatre. With theatre, it has to get into your DNA so you don't even think about what happens next. With television, you only use uh, your sh- your your short-term memory. By the end of the day, I can't I can't recite the first scene, but I can give you audition speeches I did when I was fifteen because it <laughs> just got into my body. Um, so that's the me- that's the main difference, which part of your memory you're using. The other, this is why I like pub theatre so much because the main difference between television and and camera is of course the subtlety that you can use on a camera you know a a simple eyebrow rise isn't gonna isn't gonna read in a 2000 seater you have to do something much more much grander to give that to give that feeling across um so the there's the it doesn't mean it's untruthful it just has to fill the space it's it's what uh, stanislaski calls the circle of concentration so it's very important to do your voice warm-up in the space where you're going to perform because then you get a you get you know what with a, with a camera i can work as as closely the circle is just the other side of this computer on a stage the circle has to be you know much much bigger but if you're doing pub theater then you can you don't have to you're using all that long-term muscle memory, you're using the DNA of your body, you're using working on the moment because you don't have to hit a mark or hit a light or not shadow your fellow actor. You don't have to think about any of that. And yet you can be incredibly subtle as well. So it's always been my, those small audiences, always been my favourite.
2: Yes, well, I mean, I've seen you perform in a small audience and it was Absolutely. mind-blowing. <laughs> now, <laughs> so, so what, what changes then when you go to audio? What do you have to do differently?
1: How do you raise your eyebrow in audio?
0: <laughs> I suppose you do it with a, you just have to, the, the breath you can use an enormous amount in audio. Um, they say the best films are on audio, don't they? And also you can write without budget in mind. You can absolutely, which is, I think my doctor who works so well, you can go anywhere in the universe and you're only in a, in a box as big as this table that my computers are resting on. Um, I think you have to be conscious that there's a character missing when you do audio and that's the soundscape and always leave space for that. You know, if you're drowning, put in a few gulps so the sound guy knows where to put the, where to put the waves and the splashes around you. Just be aware that you might have extra dialogue that is simply grunting, panting, pushing, pulling, coughing, whatever, screaming.
2: Is it purely intuitive now? I mean, I'm 50 years in the profession. Um, and certainly every time I see you perform, it just feels so natural. Has it just become totally intuitive to you now, what you do? Or
1: is what there a still lovely, a craft
2: behind it?
0: What a lovely question. Uh, I think the wo- wonderful thing about this profession is that you're an eternal student. You never, ever stop learning new things. Um, You know, if you're doing a period piece, there's all that research. If you're doing Granny Bob in Secret Life of Boys, I get to learn how to ride a motorbike, you know, in my late 60s. Who'd have thought? There's there's always something to be discovered. And for that, I am eternally grateful. I think the technique I was taught age 17, I still employ. And because... Uh, I'm not as fit as I was. I simply can't be as fit as I was. Uh, I really do have to employ that technique. You know, the use of the diaphragm, um, breathing into the belly, all those things that we're that we're taught. I have to be a bit more conscious of them now than I was in my 30s and 40s and even my 50s um, because they simply don't work as well as they used to. But as I told you before we started, I've... I've taken up yoga. I'm doing, um, five or six hours of yoga a week. It's making a big difference. I'm absolutely loving it. I wish I'd done it two decades ago.
2: Fantastic. Um, now I've done a bit of research, which you won't know any of this. and That's fine. So <laughs> according to my research, you've done over 148 big finished productions yeah. since 2003. Um, actually that's excluding the tomorrow people which apparently you were in as well which doesn't come up on their website because it's been taken off so you've done more than 150 productions averaging uh over nine releases a year with big finish wow. so which basically means every month we're getting something from you which doesn't surprise me um so i just want to talk a bit about the acting first and then another time we're going to talk about um your new new leap into writing and directing. But just firstly, so you've done twenty-seven stories so far with Tom Baker um, that have been released. I know you've recorded more than that. There's another series in two thousand twenty-three, yet to be released that you actually already recorded. So, what's it been like going back and working with Tom?
0: You know, he's extraordinary. He he he's, he has aged. You know, obviously, he's in his early eighties now. He. He can come in some mornings. I remember, we, I, I'm so sorry, I can't remember the name of the story that we did, but he had to hit the ground running. They, the, the story kicks off with us trying to escape something unusually. Mm-hmm. Um, we hit mid flight, as it were. He was amazing. I just think where and how do you get that energy, that voice, that exuberance, that, dynamism that that investment in what you do it was fantastic by three o'clock in the afternoon he was a bit grumpy (laughs) (laughs) it didn't sustain sustain all the way through till six o'clock but I I really take my hat off to him because he you know for many people he is the doctor isn't he? he's like the senator of the doctors and he and he's never let that crown slip really so all credit to him. Um, we tend to record every other day rather than day after day after day after day so that he can keep his momentum going. Um, which, But, you know, that's big finish. They just consider it. They just think about... And, if you know, if push comes to shove, I have to record separately, although we avoid that whenever we possibly can, we avoid that. Even Literally. in lockdown, we've been doing it together. We've been sitting in cupboards under the stairs with duvets <laughs> over our heads to soften the sound we've all got look, look state-of-the-art microphones which i'm using here now um everybody's got a makeshift studio now so even then we were being able to record together
2: we actually listened because they released an early the first lockdown which was you and tom yeah. and the sound quality was amazing like i think everyone was curious to hear how sound was expecting the quality and yet the quality was just as astounding
0: i mean they put a lot of hard work into it we all had advice on the microphones we've all had separate um uh recording systems installed into our computers we all send it to one editor who knocks it into shape before it goes to the sound designer so it went through two different sound people to get to the quality that it that it's got to and i don't think i don 't think there were any pickups on it. I might be wrong, but I don 't think we had to do any pickups. I think it was it was clear and clean and did it perfect.
1: It sounded great yeah. Big Finish always said for a long time that uh, Tom had said no, he was never going to come to work for them, um, but as we know he did how much How much credit for Tom coming to Big Finish goes to you?:
0: I think quite a lot. <laughs> I sent two emails. That's all I had to do. And the second one, I went, you know, just give this a try. If you don't like it, then you can, that's it. You don't have to do it again. It's a day out of your life. They're an amazing team. You get a beautiful lunch. Um, Just try it. And he's, you know, I sit, I sit, we sit back to back when we're in the studio. And I think sometimes he forgets I'm there and he'll go, I'm so happy. I don't think he knows he's saying it out loud. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> he's just, actors are in their element in a sound studio. You haven't got the slog of learning it. That's that's the major, major plus. And of course, he, he would find it very hard to learn a full script now, I think. I might be maligning him, but, you know, I find it harder and harder, and he's a good 13 years on me. So I think it's the best form of acting when you reach a certain age you can just let fly with all your talent and without any of the slog
2: do either you change lines at all or ask ask the writers if you can change lines or are you pretty happy with what what you get
0: very occasionally i i ask or i ask to be a presence in a scene when i haven't when i haven't been you know if the doctor's being threatened and i'm in the scene it needs something from leela to try and be brave to try and protect him so that that's the area where i go i think she's a bit she's not quite enough in this now and they all i mean i can't think of a time they've said no because they they say you know her better than anybody so if that's what you think's right then you know 99 percent sure it is right do you,
2: Although, do you feel like you do you feel like you do know this character now is, yeah, is she you yeah.
0: No, she's everything I'd like to be. <laughs> she's brave and fearless and she doesn't care what anyone thinks about her. And, and uh, I'm far too worried. I've got this little inner voice that, you know, just telling me I could be better, could do better. That's not quite good enough. That pause was too long. That pause wasn't long enough. It's just this permanent judge going on in my head. Yeah.
1: You've worked with Tom. Uh, yeah. You've worked with Lala. Yeah. Do you ever feel like have you ever felt like uh meat in the sandwich?
0: I felt a little bit of a go between at one point. Yes. <laughs> um but I adore both of them. Uh and I and I'm just so pleased that Lala's now found happiness. You know, she's got married again. And, and is living in Hong Kong at the moment. Through all its troubles, she's still having the most wonderful time there. And she sends me, I think she should write, you know, Lala. She sends me these long emails about her experience there and all the wildlife and all the politics. And she's uber, uber intelligent woman that, that um, yeah, she should be a novelist, I think.
1: Yeah, she'd be seeing a lot of upheaval there at the moment in, in mm. Hong Kong. Lots going on. Yeah. Um, so what's the the, the dynamic uh, on the Gallifrey series? Like the main ca- the main characters there, you've got uh, Lala's character, you've got Sean. Uh, what's it like with uh, with you, Sean, and, and of course John, John Leeson as well?
0: Well, with Lala and I, you'd, you'd think we wouldn't get on because she's all science and I'm all yoga basically <laughs> it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't think we would but I think we're like a jigsaw we just kind of click into each other there was one story again I can't remember the name where Ramana and Leela had to switch personalities and I had to become sort of uber efficient and bright and she had to become all a bit kind of Ooh. and um she adored doing it, the relaxation of it, you know. She absolutely loved it. Um, and I think the dynamic, Sean is like, like he's died and gone to heaven, basically. He just adores working with us. He's like uh, a fanboy who's got his dream job uh, and is so respectful and so... I mean, I talk about my inner voice. He's got an inner voice. Oh, can I do? He's, he's the one that asks for most takes. He, he likes more takes all the time. He's never completely satisfied with what he's done. And John is John. What can I say? It's like having a puppy in the room. He's just adorable and funny and knowledgeable. And he and Lala do the crossword together. And Sean and I talk about old times and it's just a great dynamic, the four of us.
2: In terms of acting Leela from, Leela with Tom Beck, of course, the, the young, original Leela from the TV show, Gallifrey, she's gone through a lot. I think you've had six seasons um, of Gallifrey, plus two, so three Thai War seasons so far happening. Um, how are you trying to grow Leela up? Really, it depends
0: on the writing, um, because there are so many strands. You know, there's the Companion Chronicles and there was Jago and Lightfoot and there is, as you say, the season with Tom. Um, so I, I suppose if I had to concentrate on one of them, it would be the season with Tom and how she just tends to have vocabulary expands. There's only so much you can do though. But if I see a script being written by John Dorney, for example, I, I, I rub my hands in glee because I know he's got Leela's emotional life, uh, uh, under wraps as, as, as well as, as well as the sort of, she's there for a reason, isn't she? She's there to say, what is it doctor so that the doctor can then explain to the audience. So she fulfills that function, but within that John also manages to develop her emotionally and, um, i love it i love it when we tap into her grief and i can't say why it's it's a kind of um perverse way of looking at it i suppose but it's an actor's juices get running when you have a a, a deeply emotional scene to play and i think john manages to explore that
2: you, you did a couple of seasons of jago and Light, Lightfoot, um and you seem to really be enjoying the whole setting of Victoria and London and and just seem to be having a lot of fun with uh, the cast there. What was it like working with Jago and Lightfoot?
0: Well, even back in the day, Trevor Baxter and... um, uh, Oh! I had his name in my head just now.
2: Christopher Benjamin.
0: Thank you. Were just uh, sensational and funny. So funny to work. They really were like a double act. And I know Chris is incredibly upset by trevor's passing and we all were such a gentleman he never complained he was in terrible pain with his arthritis and he no ne- you never heard a complaint come out of his mouth you just saw a wince as he stood or sat or struggled with his stick and he great dignity and enthusiasm for life was astounding back in the day i am um, he couldn't type this is before computers when he when we were doing talents and he said he'd written it but he's got to find someone to type it up well my parents forced me through a i'm a, a secretarial course they said well they what they said was you've got to get another qualification if you're going to be an actor
2: a backup so i moved
0: around for the shortest one i could find and it was to become a secretary so i can touch type uh so it's no no effort for me and he gave me he gave me this novel and, I t- and during the rehearsals, I, I typed it up for him. Um, and he never forgot that. Every time I met him, he, he reminded me of that and how grateful he was because, you know, he wasn't a very well-off actor and it cost to do such things. So I was, I was happy to do it, kept my typing up. And he said, well, how much do I owe you? And I you wanted know, to take me out to dinner and he did. <laughs> It's yeah. pretty
2: amazing that the star of a TV series is actually doing the typing of one of the guests coming in.
0: <laughs> well, it was, I mean, in RADA it was a bit of a bore because nobody else could type. And when it came to everybody typing up their CVs, their resumes, I got rather lumbered with, you know, knocking 26 of them into shape because uh, that's the number of people that were in our class because nobody else could do it.
1: Coming soon from Big Finish Productions.
0: Wherever they are, the Professor and Mr. Jago are in danger. We must find them. I can feel that something is coming, something bad. And it is coming for them.
3: Back, Foul Fiend! Professor, you just upset it.
2: There, there, nice thing. Don't think that's helping, actually, Henry. There you were, shining from the stage. What is this
0: world without beauty? What is the point? What do mere lives matter in comparison to the divine?
2: Five o'clock, four o'clock. Uh, the hands are moving in reverse. Mine too, it seems.
0: Time regained. Our missing hours are being returned to us. Professor,
2: I feel dash peculiar, as if I were being simped.
0: there. I know exactly what you mean no good. As quickly as I break them, the faces appear in other hourglasses. Shall I break them all?
3: Back! Well, look out! Here it comes! The glass is distorting, bending, warping.
0: Faces! They are watching us! Faces in the glass! Hempston and
1: Hardwick. I should have realised. I don't
0: know
3: what Leela told him, but the Caviem drove us here like his life depended on it.
0: That is what I told
2: him. I think that went terribly well, don't you, Mr. Kempston? I do indeed, Mr. Hartley.
1: Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com
2: Well, there we go. That was the end of our first part of the chat with Louise. There's more to come, so make sure you listen to what else she has to say. There's more exciting news to come next time. But uh, how do you find that, Dwayne?
1: Yeah, she's um, fantastic to talk to. Lots of... Lots of stories there that I hadn't heard before, so um, it's always good to hear and uh, very, very grateful that um, she was able to come on and chat with us on our little old podcast here.
2: What's What stuck out to you?
1: Just some of the... some of her early acting um, that sort of led her into acting. Uh, it seems like from virtually from when she became consciously aware, acting is what she always wanted to do. So she's a person who knows what she wants and has always stuck to it. So I think that, that, was, uh, that was probably what stood out to me from that first part, yeah.
2: I think what struck, stood out for me was uh, I was going to avoid talking specifically about too many shows because I thought she'd done so much she would remember. And then she kept bringing up all the different stories that she'd done. So that really stood out in terms of not only does she enjoy what she does, she actually remembers the stories, remembers the plots and could actually talk about it which um, I'm not sure a lot of the Doctor Who stars can do that. I think often they just do them and forget them. Uh, Louise actually remembers them, which really stood out for me.
1: Cool. Very good. All right, so we have come to that part of the show where we are going to recommend something to listen to. Um, doesn't have to be related to Doctor Who, but Philip, what have you got for us this time?
2: Yes, I would to uh, recommend a companion chronicle that i've caught up with it's a bit of an old well a couple of months ago uh, peter Purps out of the deep um so yes a stephen taylor companion oh i want to call it a companion chronicle it's not really it's just a short trip um in many ways it's, it's acting more like a uh, companion chronicles which is what i love um but anytime um peter Purps does his uh narration uh, i love hearing him act he's just uh, got it so much so it's a only a short thing uh, easy to listen to a um, must nice bite size, but just a, a good listen.
1: From Big Finish Productions. I glanced at the doctor. Do you think they're friendly? Doctor Who. Short trips. Uh, yes, my boy. Uh, I should think they are. In places such as this, people draw a little closer to each other. The sun and sand are enemies enough. Hm. Out of the deep. As they proceeded down the sloping passage... The lamp lit up less of the way ahead, as if the darkness was becoming denser and resisting the light's waves. The doctor began to move around the chamber and discovered other figures sitting stiffly in the dark. Withered skin and empty eye holes showed up in the light.
3: Who is this who
2: comes?
1: Big Finish. We love stories.
2: What have you been listening to, Dwayne?
1: Well, um, having frequented the Big Finish forums, I came across a post where someone stuck up uh, a, an image of the Big Finish Classics version of H.G. Wells' The Shape of Things to Come. And we'd been listening to, both you and I have been listening to the second box set of the robots, and uh, we both love Nicola Walker and and to her time with the Eighth Doctor. So I thought, oh, I'll give this one a go. And I was very pleasantly surprised because back in the in the olden days when we had Beta video cassettes, I had th- the movie Things to Come from the thirties. What what year was it made? Thirty-seven or thirty-three? I can't remember. It was from the thirties, and it starred Raymond Massey. I remember that much, and I remember really enjoying the film. I haven't seen it for probably thirty years, but. I really enjoyed it at the time so I thought I'd give this a go and I really love the the take that uh, that they've made with this story on audio because they always said it's a very hard story to to um, adapt because they were trying to do the H.D.G. Wells stories as literally as they possibly could uh, so to adapt that book the way it was written into audio was something challenging. But i think they've done a very good job nicola walker is superb as always and it's a great alternative timeline uh story if you like that kind of thing coming soon from big finish productions the shape of things to come the world is ruined i get it
3: but why show me because dr philip raven permanent representative of the united kingdom to the united nations You are the man our systems predict as having the best chance to save the future. Save the...
2: I just walked from my plane into 1940, so I'm fairly confident this isn't real.
3: It's real enough. We're traveling via psychic projection, which is considerably more proactive than just dreaming. Just, just shut up for a minute and watch what I'm trying to show you.
2: Why am I dreaming a really pushy woman?
3: One of the most significant moments of the century, triggered by a silly misunderstanding over a dental place. Significant moments? That was war breaking out.
2: You say this is real, but it clearly isn't, because the Second World War didn't break out in 1940 over a stupid argument on a train. Nor did normal people wander around armed to the teeth. It's all just... An alternative.
3: What? This is what comes after the fighting. The raid of the germs.
2: Someone's coming. Is there any sign of infection? Uh, why take a risk?
3: If we want civilization to move again, then we'll just do as we're told.
1: A dictatorship.
3: You were chosen based on logistics. You will be at precisely the right place at precisely the right time. To do what? Big finish.
1: We love stories. So that's my recommendation. Okay,
2: I'll actually listen to that because I did actually download it at the same time. as. <laughs> you did i saw the same post but i haven't had a chance to listen to you know been a bit busy listening to some other things uh so yeah i'll get get on to the next week
1: very good we've got some great stuff in store for you on the sirens of audio so really looking forward to sharing that we're gonna we're going to play you louise jameson's second part soon we're not going to say it's next time but it will be soon so make sure you uh unless philip changes my mind (laughs) so stick around for that so um uh thank you very much philip for uh for your recommendations and uh and uh taking the lead on that chat with louise it it was absolutely fantastic thank you
2: no it's been a pleasure as always
1: very good so in the meantime until you hear from the sirens of audio again make sure you listen to lots of lovely audio because audio drama rocks trick you. (laughs) Yes. <laughs>